From the National Association of Evangelicals, welcome to today's conversation. Our topic, When Crisis Comes to Town. Host Leif Anderson, NAE President, talks with Joel Hunter, Senior Pastor of Northland Church in Orlando, Florida. Let's join in. I'm Leif Anderson, President of the NAE, here today with Joel Hunter. After pastoring a church in Indiana for 15 years, Joel joined Northland Church in 1985, and under his leadership, it has grown from 200 attenders to an Orlando-based congregation of 20,000 that worships worldwide on the web. Joel has held and continues to hold leadership and advisory roles in Orlando and Florida, in addition to his national and international roles, including current service on the boards of the National Association of Evangelicals and the World Evangelical Alliance. He has served on the White House Advisory Council on Faith-Based and Neighborhood Partnerships and as a spiritual advisor to President Obama. And he has authored several books, including A New Kind of Conservative and Church Distributed. Welcome, Joel. We're so glad to have you with us today. Thanks, Leith. It's always a pleasure and an honor to talk with you. Almost every day we hear about another tragedy in the world or in our country, and sometimes those tragedies come to our own town. So what do we do when crisis comes to our city? What kind of leadership should pastors bring to the table? This is our topic for today. Joel, on June 12, 2016, a shooter killed 49 people and wounded 53 others inside Pulse, a gay nightclub in Orlando, your city. That happened early Sunday morning. How did you first hear about what had happened? And as a pastor, what was your first reaction, your, your gut response? Four o'clock in the morning, I uh, received an email um, from a police officer uh, in our congregation who was headed to that scene. Um, and the email simply said, Pastor, um, there's been a, a, a multiple um, um, casualty shooting event. I'm heading there now. Please pray. If we ever needed prayer, it's now. And so um, I was I was up at that time, but I, I usually do my devotions. Um, and so I didn't see the email until five that morning. Of course, immediately began to pray. Um, and after um, that time of prayer, switched on the news to see uh, the horrible event of the um, of the of the most uh, the biggest mass shooting in the history of our country, um, and so I just rocked back. I was driven to my knees. Um, I wasn't preaching that that uh, weekend, um, but immediately began to um, hear from other community leaders uh, about the event and about uh, how we could respond. In some ways, you're not preaching made it easier that you had one less responsibility. But so what did that Sunday look like for you? What did you do the rest of the day? Did you go to church? Were you able to do that? Were you out in the community? What happened? No, I wasn't uh, I wasn't able to be at church. I was, uh, was uh, kind of out and about. But mostly I prayed. You know, when you don't know what to do, you don't know the extent of the tragedy, you haven't... Um, you have you don't have a lot of uh, because it was both a hate crime and a terrorist attack. 
um, and because it happened in a, a gay nightclub, I told my congregation soon after that, um, I was so gripped by this tragedy, not because I had so many relationships in that community, but because I had so few. Um, and so the first reaction I had was, I, I don't know if I know any of these families. Um, and the second reaction I had was, um, you know, to, to pray that God would undergird personally each of them. Um, and then um, a group of us pastors uh, um, soon were on the line together. We have a pretty close um, uh, fellowship of pastors here, and we were all saying, okay, this is a community tragedy. Um, how can we respond to this um, together? Uh, because uh, many of the many of the injured were from the Latino community, um, and so um, El Cavario and and other um, Hispanic pastors that we knew would be would be dealing mostly with the with the families, um, but but there was just this reaction like it's it's almost surreal. You know, you don't know what to do, so you you do the two basic basic things you do know to do. You pray. And you talk with other people who are spiritual leaders who you respect, uh, and try to get some sort of uh, response plan together. So, what did churches in Orlando and the greater Orlando area? Uh, how did they respond? And Joel, I think what I'm most interested in is not hearing the outlier story of some church somewhere that did something inappropriate or bizarre. What what did most of them do? And especially, yeah. what did they do that was good? Yeah. Well, thanks for that question, because uh, um, there were so many events. They continue to this day to memorialize and sympathize um, with um, this this horrible event. Um, the city um, officials, the government officials, and the and the law enforcement uh, leaders were all involved in all of these um, faith community responses um, and and for the evangelical um, churches we all just kind of came together on on uh, two nights after the event um, went to First Baptist and just had a, a series of prayers from community um, faith leaders and my portion of that was to pray for um, the gay community well, as I as I just said, I I felt totally inadequate to do that, and so I called uh, I called this uh, uh, Equality for Florida, which is a uh, LGBTQ advocacy group. Um, they knew who I was, and I said, I this is my job in in this evangelical Christian service, and I'm I'm totally um, um, ill-equipped. To pray a prayer that would be relevant um, and 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 would be um, realistic as to what the commu your community is going through, would you send somebody? And I'll I'll have them lead us in prayer. Well, sure enough, they sent this uh, wonderful national leaders um, who um, is a lesbian, uh, married, um, and so when it came my time to pray in this very conservative evangelical service. I got up and I said, you know, I don't know what it is not to be in the power group. 
Um, I'm, I'm a white male. Uh, short doesn't count as a vulnerability or a, or a, or a minority group, you know. Um, I've never, I, and so when it comes to praying for a vulnerable community, I, I can't do it. So I've asked um, um, this person to come and lead us in prayer. And she got up and it kind of explained what their community was going through. And it was not only sobering, it was evoking of sympathy and identification with those mothers and fathers who had lost their children, um, um, understanding um, the the higher incident of hate crimes against this community, um, and it was just absolutely galvanizing for many of those people who had never spoken with a gay person. Afterwards, <laughs> the pastor at First Baptist came up and said. Well, now that's a first for our church. He said, I'm not sure how the leaders of our church is going to take what you just did. If you get room on your staff in case I don't last here. <laughs> uh, but, but, the, but the point was the community out of this catastrophe was driven to the kind of unity that we never would have had without it. And it was, a, it was really a, a, a wonderful watershed moment for our community and for our faith communities. It sounds a little bit like the story of Joseph in Genesis where God used something that was bad and used it for good and, and brought you together in a way that, uh, sadly, it, it takes a tragedy to do. So you mentioned the leader of Equality Florida. There's a, a photo of you warmly shaking hands with uh, a leader from Equality Florida, which is uh, an LGBT advocacy group in your area. Uh, so how did that photo come about? Was that part of your making that contact? It was part of, yeah, uh, I, again, um, wanting to stand with and understand better the more vulnerable communities um, among, in our community. Um, there was a press conference called by um, the um, Islamic, uh, the, Carib the, um, the, the Center for uh, American Islamic Relations, CARE, um, that wanted to decry this act of violence committed by someone who um, was a Muslim um, and committed it in, in a, you know, in identity with ISIS, and they wanted to say we are not a part of this, um, and they invited um, somebody from Equality Florida. Carlos is his name. I, I, I'm going to have coffee with him tomorrow, um, and um, and so we met there. And the Orlando Sentinel was there, and they snapped a picture of us of us uh, shaking hands. The result of this, um, and the result of my own ignorance of this community and lack of relationships, and my desire to 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 know if there's something I've done in my ministry that would somehow give leeway to anybody under my influence to ever harm someone. Um, in a vulnerable community um, has prompted me to have one conversation after another with um, the, um, the LGBTQ leaders in our community um, just to listen to their stories. Um, and so that's, that's what I'm going through right now uh, just so that I can understand and I can be a better pastor to our congregation when it comes to um, uh, including 
people who um, who are are part of that community um, who may disagree disagree with the way we read scripture uh, and with some of the standards that we have, but yet um, we're part of the same community um, and we can cooperate on on many things together, and we can certainly um, be friends and and respect. Um, each other um, as being made in God's image, and so that's kind of kind of the path that I'm on right now. When you talk, it's obvious that it's out of who you are and your personal experience that you both interpret and act in these various contexts. So, you know, um, I, I love your conversion story, and it seems to have really influenced the direction and the approach of your ministry. Can can we pull back just a little bit and, and tell us about that, your, your conversion and, and how that affects the way you're approaching this? Yeah, well, it has everything to do with the way I'm approaching this. I, I, I came to a full commitment to Christ. Of course, I was raised in the, in the church, but it was, a, it was a formal church, and we seldom heard the gospel um, um, to, in order to respond. The one time my hometown preacher did give an altar call, you know, everybody, you know, I went to church with all the ladies had fruit on their hats and all the men had pinstripes, pinstripes on their suits. And so they didn't they didn't know about altar calls. And so nobody went forward. Um, that was in an all white town. We didn't have one person of color in our whole town to to when I went to college, Ohio University, I immediately got involved in the civil rights movement. Um, it was kind of my form of rebellion, um, and because I just thought it was unfair that people had been uh, persecuted because they were a minority, um, and out of that involvement, um, um, when Martin Luther King Jr. was assassinated, I came to a crisis of faith. And I remember my my hometown pastor saying, "You know, nothing will ever come right in the world." until you take care of the sin in your own heart. And I realized that I wanted to spend the rest of my life following Jesus, knowing that he had forgiven me for my sin. I had gotten at least that much of the gospel. And so I went to Galbraith Chapel, and I knelt down, and I gave my life to Jesus. And I got up believing that I was supposed to, as a part of my ministry, always include those people who had not been included, um, always be an advocate for um, the poor and the um, the people struggling with um, disabilities and 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 you know the whole the whole life um, 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 venue of, of people who were at a disadvantage. And so, when this happened, I realized that um, here's a community within our community that stays largely invisible. Um, and and so there was a natural outreach to them because that's just kind of how I've always been in ministry, wanting to you know cross the lines and and include people who aren't aren't normally included. So let's tie this in with theology for a minute. So as a pastor myself in Minnesota, I think about the collapse of our major interstate bridge, which was on October first, two thousand seven, and. For me, uh, the press calls came quickly. It was front page international news. And one of the most frequent questions that I and others got 
was about the whereabouts of God, the presence of God in the midst of tragedies that take innocent lives. And I think it was, and saw it as an invitation to teach a biblical perspective in theology. In fact, one national magazine after that published a feature article comparing my theology with those of two other Minneapolis pastors. So, so let me ask you, how did you, how do you explain your theology in the midst of enormous tragedy that takes innocent lives? Well, that's a great question, and I don't have a great response. Uh, my my caution is to try to explain um, deep theological um, 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 perspectives in sound bites. Uh, it just can't be done. Um, and so my response this time um, was one of the first thing I'm going to do is examine my own heart to to make sure that I I do my part to see this never happens again. When people did ask me those kinds of questions, you know, where was God when this happened? Um, my only response is um, when when seemingly innocent life is taken, um, God was a exactly in the same place as when his son was crucified. Um, he was hovering over the world hoping that people would find him for a better way. Um, God doesn't stop the killing of innocent life. He didn't stop the killing of his own son. Um, but God is with us and available after that killing. Um, and so I, 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 I don't have long detailed um, um, uh, responses to why, because usually why is not even not even ultimately a request for an explanation. It's a cry of pain and disappointment, um, and you've just got to let that be what it is. Uh, you've got to respect people in their pain and not try to take them into places of thinking too quickly, um, because that's not really the point. You and I were involved in an email exchange that Sunday, and in it you uh, quickly typed that you were just swamped with press requests. So um, what's the best way to relate to the media? You've had experience, but a lot of pastors find themselves in circumstances you know, without that experience. So how do you handle that? Well, um, Partly in restraining yourself from theologizing, because that's what the press is going to want to do. They're want to, going to want to create a caricature of um, of a theolog theological explanation that you're trying to come up with, and that just doesn't work. Usually, what I try to do in these circumstances is say, we want, as people of faith, to be as responsive and as caring for those people who have. Gone, undergone this tragedy as we possibly can. So that's what we're going to be searching for. How can we be a resource? How can we care for people in their pain? Um, and, and how can we um, help the community respond uh, and be a part of the healing? And so you try to, you try to make it on, on uh, your response on things that, that you can do rather than things you can't explain. 
do you accept all interviews? Uh, do you have somebody that screens them for you? Does it matter whether it's uh, print or television? How do you decide some of these really practical things? Yeah, I, I accept as many as I can because um, I know the press has a job and they serve a valuable purpose and I want to help them do their job. Um, having said that, we do have a public relations guy who, um, if he knows that there is a media outlet that is looking for a way to either um, paint the church in a bad picture, uh, in a bad light, or um, 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 somehow condemn um, the community that has been um, that has undergone the tragedy, and they're going to they're going to um, paint it in that direction. Then he will take care of of uh, making sure that I don't talk with with those. He's 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 knowledgeable enough to, about media outlets as to whether or not they can be fair, and if they can at all be fair, I'll talk with them. But if but if they are uh, if they have an agenda just to paint their own ideology, then I won't. You uh, have a lot of experience in Orlando. You've been a pastor of a very large church there, and you've had a lot of experience with the press. So you probably have uh, relationships with the press before this, and that's got to be helpful as well, right? It's very helpful. It's very helpful. And and like I said, I I appreciate a lot of the press because because many people that we know you know them too, Leith. I mean, you're, you you have probably more experience than I do. And you know a lot of these folks, and they really got involved so that they could be helpful and explanatory and educate people. Um, and they really are trying to do their job. All press aren't, you know, just out for the bloody headlines and, and to get the ratings, you know. A lot of these these people who work in journalism and the press do have integrity, and they're really trying to do a good job. Um, and so that's how I, I usually see them, I, and I want to help them out. All right, let's switch back to the congregation, to, to your parishioners. And while you're talking to the press and you're talking to thousands of people, they're talking to their neighbors, their friends, their coworkers, their family members, and they're looking to you. I mean, how, how do I talk to my children or my parents or my boss about what happened? Because everybody in Orlando has to have been talking about this. So do you give guidelines? Do you just seek to model it, or do you actually say in a sermon, here's some things you ought to be considering to say? Well, that's another great question, and, and this is the chief, um, the chief concern of a pastor, um, is to help his congregation navigate um, um, these questions that are so big that um, they could really destabilize people. People have people have a lot of normal fear these days, anyhow. Uh, and when something like this happens, they're you know kind of the wheels come off because everybody knows somebody that knows somebody that was you know that some was somehow affected by this. And so you try to do two things, or I try to do two things. First of all, I try to rem to remember to reassure them that um, God's still in charge. That that um, God is just as big um, and just as able uh, in tragedy uh, as he is in, in normal, stable, uh, uh, you know, stable times. And so um, to, to encourage them to trust in God, 
to trust that he's going to bring good out of this uh, and to trust that those of us who have been affected by this will learn how to care more from it. Um, that, that's, that's, that's kind of the, 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 the overall perspective I try to cultivate. And then I try to say, for those of you who have a special interest, um, you've been especially traumatized, or you want to do something uh, to be practically helpful, um, 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 or it's or it's 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 brought up for you a, a personally destabilizing uh, memory uh, that you need to talk with someone. We will direct those folks to. Um, either the counselors, the mental health professionals, um, or the response teams, uh, some of the some of the uh, uh, the practical um, folks that are going down to these to these um, um, vigils and other public demonstrations with water and with supplies. Um, so we will try to um, say to people, in addition to trusting in God you might want to take these next steps either to stabilize your life or to help with lives that are, be, are that have been destabilized so it sounds like there's a difference between how you minister to your congregation and how you speak in the public square for one thing with your congregation you can say more than you can in a, a clip for a radio or a yeah. television station yeah. are, are there Absolutely. other differences of, of note I mean I well, yeah. The, the, when you when you're speaking to to the community, you are a faith leader, and that means a lot to the community. Um, that faith leaders are there for people. Um, that they don't just you know stay in their own religious clique. You know that they 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 are they're caring for the community as well. Um, but those those statements you make are are, are more general. Um, they they try not to exclude people. Um, they try to be appreciative of all of those who are helpful. You know, you 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 build up the the governing authorities that have been very helpful, and, and our ours in Orlando were wonderful. Um, and the the law enforcement officers and the and the you know the the uh, different helping agencies. You know, so you stay kind of broad. You want to be part of the help. When it comes to your congregation, you're their main. You're you're their shepherd. They're going to look to you, and they're going to say, "You know what? If my pastor's okay, I'm okay, because that's that's the person I trust. Um, and if he looks like he's not or she's not going to, you know, just panic and and just go off the rails and and start condemning all of the hate in the world and all that kind of stuff." If, if his response is to trust in God and and to help the people who are hurting, that'll be my response too. And 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 there's a much more um, personally powerful effect that you can have in your own congregation because you served them for so long, uh, and they look to you as their as their example. And so that's it's it's a uh, you don't you don't send mixed messages. You send a very clear message, but in the community, you have to be a little bit more general and inclusive and appreciative of everybody. Um, and and when it comes to your congregation, um, um, you're the one who who reassures them. 
This is enormously helpful. Um, let, let me just tackle one more topic with you, and that is the, the pastor of a typical size church. So a church of 100 or 200. In, in conversations that I've had with pastors, many of them have not thought through in advance what they might do in preparation for a tragedy that will come to their town. And it could be, could be a school bus, it could be a flood, it could be a, a soldier who dies overseas in U.S. Armed Forces. So what can pastors do in preparation for that um, before the crisis comes to town? And especially pastors that aren't in large or multi-staff churches, what, what can they do to get ready? Well, that's a great question, Leith, and, I, and, and this may be even something that NAE could, could help with, help equip pastors to do this. Um, but a, a pastor might consider having a catastrophe response strategy that he talks over with, with some of his leadership uh, in, the, in the church. That is to say, if there is a natural disaster, if there is a... Um, um, a man-made disaster, um, then, then these are three ways that we can respond. Um, and, and, and just have in, in, in his or her mind, again, um, these two kind of venues that you've mentioned. How do we respond to our congregation? What, are, what is our message going to be um, in order to help them trust in God? Um, and then how are we going to respond to our community in, in order to help them act like Christ? Um, and that is, um, if there are um, uh, helping agencies that we can connect with, um, many people want to, like, for example, they want to donate in a, in a, in a catastrophe like this. I want, I want to give something. Only I'd like to give it through my church instead of, you know, give it to the Red Cross or something like that. You can, you can say ahead of time, Okay, if we have donations come in, um, these are the helping agencies that we're gonna we're gonna feed those donations to, like for example the Salvation Army or 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 some other Christian organization that that you know is acting out of the response um, of our particular faith community, um, or you 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 form a relationship with um, some community leaders and you let them know. Look, if we ever have a a, a catastrophe in our community. Uh, I want you to call on us as, as as one of your resources because we're going to be ready to help. But all of that would go into kind of a a very simple but very doable um, strategy for catastrophe response. Our guest on today's conversation has been Joel Hunter, senior pastor of Northland Church in Orlando. I'm Leith Anderson, and on behalf of us all very special thanks to Joel. The National Association of Evangelicals is where we use influence for good. Today's conversation is one of many ways we connect and represent evangelical Christians in the United States. To discover more NAE topics and resources for you and your church, please follow along on Twitter at NAEvangelicals or on our Facebook page for the National Association of Evangelicals. And sign up for our email list when you visit our website at nae.net.